0: Welcome back to Missing Maura Murray. I'm Tim, here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you today?
1: I am doing very well. How are you today, Tim?
0: I'm doing well. And Lance, for this episode, we bring our lovely audience episode three in the series we're doing on Dale Williams' disappearance. And this is part two with Dale's daughter, Tony.
1: Yeah, Tony is a great guest. One of one of our favorites, uh, she's talking about her father's disappearance. He went missing in Nucla, Colorado on May 27th, 1999. His truck was found uh, just a few weeks later on July 4th, 1999, submerged in uh, some muddy waters where two rivers, the San Miguel and the Dolores River, converge in Colorado. Uh, and she's so forthcoming in these interviews what she's talking about is truly tragic but she has a a mission to find out first of all who did this to her father and where where his, where he is now
0: yeah it's pretty remarkable lance and uh, in this episode we cover a lot of ground sort of cover uh, the searches done and um, where, how his truck was found and uh, some clues about that and about his tools being scattered throughout the hills. And also she mentions a website called thediggings.com and I just wanted to bring it up in the intro here. It will be in the show notes as well because uh, she speaks about it in the, in the last 10 minutes of this episode.
1: Yeah, thediggings.com we had never heard about before, but when you're looking at the area where her father went missing in Nukla and the and the surrounding towns, they're all they're all mining towns and if you go to the diggings.com you can check out uh the claims maps that they have for mining towns in the united states you can see who owns what where they are where they're at how many mines there are active how many mines there are total uh because her theory is that her father was murdered and was disposed of in one of these mines. And while you're listening to this, I think I said it before. Go to Google Earth and and check out the terrain down there. See what you can get for street views right around uh, Nukla and 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 the areas of the San Miguel River and the Dolores River. It's a crazy area, Tim. And you can see where these uh,
0: where these old shafts were. If you were to be able to go into the woods a, a little bit, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it really is. And before we throw it to the interview with Tony, I want to mention that there's a book giveaway that's happening um, after next week's interview on these airwaves. So check out investigationsforthemissing.org. Follow them on social media. That's Private Investigations for the Missing. And they're doing a book giveaway for uh, Bob Kolker's Lost Girls book. And Bob Kolker joins us next week on Missing Maura Murray. All right, everyone. hope you enjoy the interview with Tony. Now, according to uh, Pastor Tom Ross and his son, they had stopped by to visit Dale um, at his shop around noon, and they said that Dale had received a phone call from someone saying that they had broke down about three-fourths of a mile east of Bedrock, Colorado, store, which is a small store over there. Do you, wh- What do you know about this, and um, do you know Pastor Tom Ross?
2: Yeah, I know Mr. Ross. He's a um, well-respected individual at the time in the community. He's since moved out of Nucla. Um, but he was a great guy. My dad and him were good friends, you know, well enough for Tom to feel comfortable to stop by during the working day and um, play a game of darts or just chat with my dad. So he he was definitely a a, a good friend to my father. He said that he had you know, he is only hearing my dad's side of the conversation with the caller and um presumed that it was a woman based on how my dad was talking and answering questions. And he had heard my dad say, you know, kinda of confirm where where this person was and what was going on, and then he had said, Okay, I'll bring the wrecker and and the car presumably said, Oh no, I just need to jump. And then my dad said out loud, All right, well, I'll just bring the pickup then. And he hung up and let Tom know that, you know, there was somebody that needed help down in Paradox. And, um, and he excused himself and went on his way. He left, left the truck or the shop and locked the car that he was working on. The doors and hood were open. Uh, The interior lights were still on in the car uh, the next day. And um, my dad had left in his white pickup down towards that direction. And he stopped by um, his best friend, not the ex-friend, the best friend's uh, place of business and spoke to his wife. Um, He wanted to see, I think that he wanted to see if um, his friend could go with him, but when his friend wasn't available, he had said to his wife that he had stopped by to let her know that he was going to work on her windshield on a Tuesday, and she has told me that she thought that that was weird that he could have just called, and so... She thinks that he was there for another reason, and we have kind of come to the conclusion that it was because my dad wanted his friend to go with him to wherever he was going.
0: Is that something normal? Does, uh, d- does your dad usually need uh, help during these roadside assistance um, cases? And, and from what I've read here, it doesn't even seem like he did a lot of those.
2: Um well, my dad wasn't a mechanic; he was a body man, but he was you know as I've said before he he wasn't unable to um do these things for people and he would if somebody needed help, he would go and help them, especially if he knew who it was, he would you know make sure that he would be helping. I think considering the circumstances uh with his shot being broken into and um, you know, all of this stuff going on in my parents' life that he had a feeling possibly of unease and wanted somebody there to support him in case something had happened or, you know, who knows. I don't really know what he was thinking, but his friend's wife and I, that that's kind of what we have come to uh, conclude just based on. How we both know my dad, and uh, and the circumstances that had been going on in in my parents' lives at that time that he just he wanted somebody to go with him and um, his friend happened to not be available,
1: and then he went on uh, anyway by himself. Uh, has has it ever crossed your mind why he decided to do that if he felt like the situation needed um, his friend to be present with him? Uh, why why not? Just not go altogether. Why even go in the first place?
2: Uh, well, I I think that maybe he was contemplating whether or not it was an actual call and somebody actually needed help, but he wouldn't I know see. until he got down there, you know, and and looked at it or you know arrived at the situation. I personally don't. I that's what I think. I mean, he if he told somebody that he was going to be there soon and they were actually stranded and he didn't show up. And my dad took pride in being a good person. He said that he was going to help somebody. He was going to follow through with that.
0: Right. and uh, But you ha- you don't know who who the caller was and uh, it- it- do you think Dale knew who it was?
2: Uh, you know, oh, at- in the beginning of the investigation, I... I kind of thought that maybe he did not know who it was, that it was just this quote unquote stranded caller and possibly they had walked down to bedrock and, and asked the store manager, Hey, do you know somebody that can jump my car or give me a tow or something like that? And, and my dad was down there pretty frequently. He was stopping at the store whenever he was in the area and get a soda or, you know, talk to the owners and stuff. And so, It wouldn't be surprising to me that they wouldn't recommend this person call my father if they were truly a stranger and needed help. But now that as time has gone by and I've talked to my dad's friend's wife and, you know, we've kind of speculated a little bit, I kind of swing towards that he did know this person, but that person has never been disclosed the caller has it or you know no leads as to who the caller is
0: and uh the law enforcement never uh mentioned to you that that it was from a, a, a cell phone that was traced or from a payphone that couldn't be traced or anything like that
2: well first of all there has been you know things have been said that it was a cell phone and then it was traced as a but again This area in 1999, there is no possible way that a cell phone would have been able to make that call from that area. No way. There's no doubt in my mind that that could have happened. There were no cell towers in that area. This is in, Bedrock is in a deep valley um, with very tall cliffs surrounding it and um yeah there's no way that there was a cell phone call being made from that area i don't i don't care what anybody says that did not happen from that roadside
1: so that leaves us with a payphone or a a residential phone
2: that's what i think but i don't know if there's payphones in that area either i I think that when I was a teenager, I had been through bedrock maybe four or five times, you know, in my entire life. And um, so I don't really know what availability to make a call was down there or not. I think that if somebody were to actually make a call from that area, they would need to go to a physical landline in the area to make the call.
1: Okay. So maybe a, yeah, like a house or a store or something.
2: Right. And in that case, then, you know, the, the call would be able to be traced, you know, with, if, if, you know, they, I mean, the authorities aren't stupid. If they, if a the caller, if the caller supposedly made a call from in the area and they're about three quarters of a mile from the bedrock shore of course they're going to go down and get records from the bedrock store. Right. Nothing really came out of that that I know of. And so I don't think that the call was placed from the area. And I don't think that the investigators know that or think that either. I think that they think it was placed from somewhere else um, or, you know, they just, they don't have an answer where the call was placed from. But it definitely was not placed from the side of the road.
1: Definitely not placed from the side of the road by a cell phone. Uh,
2: not in nineteen ninety nine. Maybe a. Sa- I don't know. Did people have satellite phones back then? I I don't know how it would be physically possible. If you it's... if if somebody were to get on Google Maps, you can go straight to Bedrock and look at the terrain and see how tall these mountains and hills are, and and the and you know there would have to be a cell tower fairly close or it to pick up anything.
1: So it, it stands to reason that someone could go just outside of uh, one of these towns or, or into a neighboring town and use a payphone and just simply say where they're at and, and lie about it in order to bait your father.
2: Yeah, I think that that's feasible.
1: Yeah. I feel like that's the easiest thing. I feel like overthinking it would just mean that they would have been caught by now.
2: Right.
0: Yeah, because the place, I mean that call should have been able to be traced pretty easily. You know,
2: I don't know how all of that works, especially in I mean, Nuclear Colorado in nineteen ninety nine, I don't even think there was a murder up until my dad disappeared, you know? Or or anything like that happening. Homicides, murders, kidnappings, rapes, stuff like that. I just it's a small community. And it's kind of, it's you know, it's, it's like Smallville and it's one of those places where you, people live in their bubble and they don't think that anything bad is going to happen until it does. And then when it does, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to react. They don't know how to professionally go through things where it might be experienced more on a weekly or monthly basis, such as murders and major crimes, you know the I mean the most action that people would see in Nuclear during that time is like poaching. <laughs> you know? Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean it's just not a place where where things like this happen. And and I think that during that time when it did happen, uh, you know, they did the best that they could with what they knew and the county let the they take over from there, and then the CBI, you know, took over, and then the FBI took over. And But in regards to where the local authorities are concerned, I think that they did the best that they could with what they had at the time.
0: And you have a relationship with law enforcement uh, over there now, the the people who are investigating the case?
2: Right, yeah. We have a pretty close relationship with our current investigator, Um you know, close enough to where we can just send him a text and say, hey, what do you think about this, or uh, what do you know about this? And he'll get back to us either by uh, responding to a text or a phone call. Um, so, yeah, we're we're on good terms with, with the investigator, and um, he keeps my sister and I up to speed as much as he can. You know, I really wish that they would open up and work you know, be open to working with more PIs or, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if if I'm taking the wrong steps in order to make this happen, you know, or, you know, I don't really know what, what the deal is there or why, you know, they haven't reached out. Or maybe they have reached out to other people and I just don't know about it, you know, like maybe they have reached out to investigative journalists. And I just don't know, or you know, I know that I know that they even went to the extent of bringing in a psychic, and I don't really believe in a whole, that kind of stuff. But I don't know if it helps people and it helps them come to conclusions. Then I'm I'm all for people finding closure in whatever means that they can.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to speak for law enforcement because, you know, we're not law enforcement, but we do uh, interact with them on occasion. And some of them, it just takes a little bit longer to come around to uh, the new methods in which they solicit information from the public uh, in order to put pieces together. I mean, it's it's happened. It happened before social media and it'll, you know, it'll happen after, you know, a new form of uh, information comes their way. They just need some time to adapt.
2: Yeah, and I totally get it because they don't want to do anything to jeopardize a conviction if it were to come up, you know? Right. I guess, you know, we are 100% behind whatever they say to do or not to do or to say and not to say because we feel the same way. We don't want to jeopardize my dad's case.
1: And when did they actually start, uh, you know, an, an active search for Dale?
2: The active community search started two days after he physically disappeared. Um, So I want to say that that was the 29th um, of May because we drove, I drove, it was either the 28th or the 29th of May. I drove over the mountain, and I can't remember if we started the search party or started searching as soon as I got there or they had started as soon as they got there or the day after and everybody met at the town hall and then were assigned areas to go look in. I don't remember anything outside of a community search that happened, um, you know, with, like, the state or the county, really. Um, The locals were obviously very, they were in, they were helping with the searching during the community search, I guess there were two community searches they they did. So, um, you know, the local authorities were helping with that and definitely helping organize it and stuff like that. But I don't, I don't recall like a like a huge county department search or anything like that.
0: Right and uh how many people just curious now uh, now that you mentioned that uh, how big the the nuclear police force is or is is there even a local police station or is it a county sheriff?
2: I think that they're kind of considered county. I don't know if there's a city department or not i don't I can't remember either if there was. They had dispatch and you know maybe five or six officers. It really wasn't that big. You know, it was pretty small. I had a friend who worked dispatch. She was working dispatch after my dad disappeared. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, it's super small. When my husband and I got married, um, he was, the day of my wedding, He, my husband was pulled over <laughs> trying to get to the church. And um, speeding, but he wasn't he wasn't going like obscenely fast or anything. They pulled him over because they didn't recognize his vehicle. And he's like, I'm so sorry if I did something wrong. I'm just on my way to my wedding. And Johnny Sickles is like, oh, yeah, who are you marrying? And he said, oh, Tony Williams. And, and uh, Johnny goes, oh, I used to bowl with her. Yeah, you better hurry on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like. They, it's not big. It's not big at all.
1: You also said that there were uh, two community searches. Were there any uh, notable absences from either one of those community searches that you remember?
2: Um, I, you know, those two days were pretty foggy for me. So I can probably tell you. On one hand, the people that I that I honestly remember there, but I know that there were about five to know 500 people out looking for my dad oh wow yeah it was a big community search i mean it was basically the whole town i guess you know from what i've been told i physically don't remember that because i think it's just too long ago and it was a super emotionally distressing time for me so I think that I've probably kind of blocked that out a little bit,
0: yeah, because the the population is only seven hundred, so that really is almost the entire the whole town. town and yeah yeah, and I uh, totally understand you blocking out those uh those days
2: well, and you know got, you have to remember that new like the community nuclear community is very close to other communities, so um, norwood redville Natarita, uh Nucla, Bedrock and Paradox are all within 20 minutes and of Nucla. And um, my dad had close friends with people in all of those towns. So that's seven communities, you know, seven seven jurisdictions, I guess you can call them. And um, five to 700 people, I want to say somewhere in there, you know, those those are the people that came to help look for my dad out of
0: To your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Okay, and your and your dad's truck
1: was located. Uh, I think six weeks later. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that and the, maybe some events leading up to that?
2: Sure. Um, so the search parties happened, and nothing was found. Nobody found traces of anything. Um, You know, nothing. There was nothing. And then um, there was a new family that had moved to town, and I guess that they had, you know, asked somebody on where they could go swimming or fishing for the weekend, and they were directed to the confluence of the rivers in Yoruban. And so they're out there swimming and having a good time, and this is firsthand knowledge, I am good friends with the person that found my dad's truck, and he had physically told me that um, his fish in line had gotten caught on something, and so he went out into the river and was standing on something white. He could tell that it was white, but he didn't know what it was, and he thought it was a refrigerator, so he swam down and figured out that it was a car, came back up, got air, went back down and the windows were open. And he had told me that he was trying to get into the glove box to find the registration, but he wasn't able to get into it and instead pulled the dash cover off of the dash into the surface. And on the dash cover, it was embroidered Pro Body Shop, which is the name of my dad's body shop. And uh, at that point, he ran down to Yamatco, And then called 911 and said that he had found my dad's truck. Before that, there was, while they were there, before they found the truck, they had noticed that there was this teal, like, geotracker kind of vehicle. Like a little itty-bitty SUV, you know? Yeah. That was driving back and forth along this dirt road. And this road connects Eurovan to Paradox and Bedrock. It's not well known by anybody other than locals. So you know, it's not like anybody from Grand Junction would be going down there and saying, "Oh, let's take this road. <laughs> it's a little shortcut." Nobody does that unless they're locals. Anyway, this uh, this vehicle kept driving back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and um, and watching the family. <clears throat> eventually they pulled over and had said, this guy that has never been identified, he had, like, grayish hair and um, and long, kind of reached out the window and said, you guys don't need to be playing around here, and they're like, whatever, dude, and he they drove by a couple more times, and then that was the last that anybody saw of this vehicle, and then shortly after... Levi had found my dad's truck.
1: And they never recognized the person who told them to stop playing around?
2: Well, right. Those Okay, so the family, Levi and his family had just moved to Nuclea. They didn't know anybody.
1: Oh, I see. Okay.
2: Yeah, so they, even if it was a local, they wouldn't have recognized who it was. They wouldn't know who it was. Um, but that person and that vehicle has never been found or identified. And I've had long conversations with my friend Levi about my dad, you know, about finding my dad's truck. First of all, he has absolutely no reason to lie to me about anything that he has told me. And, you know, he specifically asked, when they when they were trying to pull the truck with a backhoe, he had specifically asked if they wanted him to swim downriver and retrieve things that were floating out of my dad's car. And they said, no, we have enough evidence with the vehicle. And that just blew my mind. I have no idea why the county or state or whoever said that said that and why they wouldn't put up something to retrieve things floating out of the river or out of the truck.
1: They just let they just let possible evidence float away down the river.
2: Right. Yes. Yeah. And you know it was quite possibly trash or whatever. You know, but I don't know who told Levi that, but I know that he wouldn't lie to some lie about something like that to me, um, or to anybody, and especially if he felt like it was concerning. You know he's not going to fabricate some story about that to upset me. He was telling the truth, and that was very unsettling to me. And that's about the time when I started. Well, we, my sister and I, were never included in any of the details of the investigation uh, from the beginning until 2013. So the people that were working the case were either deliberately keeping us out of it or something else. I don't I don't know what their intentions were on not talking to my sister and I or if it was my family or what, but we were not we were not made aware of anything going on during the the early stages of the investigation. And Um, I just personally found that very unsettling that they wouldn't set up something to retrieve this possible evidence floating out of this truck.
1: Yeah. I mean, at, at least make an effort.
2: Yeah. At least let him go down and get it. He's like, it wasn't very far. I would have just had to like run down there, run downstream and then jump in the river and get it. You know, it's not like it was a big deal, but for them to say, "No, we have enough evidence with the truck that that is that is the one thing that I found completely unacceptable
1: yeah, it really is. It almost sounds like a knee jerk reaction like the police immediately saying no to somebody who's a citizen to, you know, to provide assistance. It just feels like an irresponsible, knee-jerk reaction. Like, no, we got this. The, you know, we don't need your help. Um, but there is no explanation for it. That's just me speculating.
2: And, you know, the people that were there at the time of the truck pulling, I, have the, I don't think that any of those people are on my dad's case at all anymore. And they are probably not even with the same departments anymore. Or in the area, I just don't know why they would have done
1: that. Yeah, it's it's kind of baffling. I also want to make one comment that you know we can just we can just uh, consider. I feel like a uh, a teal geo tracker is sort of uh, a standout vehicle in an area like that. I I kind of feel like that type of vehicle would be um, sort of useless in an area like this. I feel like most people had pickup trucks or something of the sort. Just just a random comment. I feel like it should have stood out.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, like if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the area, like why would you have this? So I don't know. Like I had never seen that type of vehicle in the area. Even when I moved back after I got out of school, you know, I moved back to Nuclo for about eight months or so, and I had never um, seen any any vehicle like that whatsoever.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like seeing a smart car now. You know, it, it just kinda stands out. It's like, oh, that's an interesting vehicle.
2: What are you gonna do with that?
1: Right, right. Especially in the area where your dad's truck was found, and I and I wanna bring this up real quick. Uh we we had spoken previously and you had taken us on a um on a virtual tour of the area through Google Earth and you were directing us around. And if um if people go to Google Earth and they go to the area right now where your dad's truck was found, there's a a a creepy coincidence there. Um it means nothing but I just I just want you to to talk about that really uh you know as 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 you see fit.
2: Right. Yeah, the creepy coincidence is there's a white truck um <laughs> parked where my dad's truck was found. Um and it's yeah, it's a uh, you know, it's just creepy.
1: No, it it really is. And there's actually uh, the street view is one thing. Um, but, you know, on Google Earth, when you get into areas that are more remote, you don't have the street view anymore. And that that area where your dad's truck was found is certainly nothing that uh, warrants the Google car to go down and get a street view of. But somebody took a picture of uh, the area. So there's like this 360 street view that you can view there and you can actually put yourself right down there and you can see this white truck, which is, it's pretty rare for an area like that. It's literally in the middle of canyons
0: and, and right on the river. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, it really is. And, um, but this swimming hole, it's, uh, it's pretty deep, right? Is, is there any chance that the Dale is, is there? How was that searched the swimming hole?
2: Um, they have taken divers through the, the river through there. I don't, I don't think that they did it the day of the, the, when the truck was pulled, or if they did, I don't know about it, Um, but I have, you know, our investigator has told us that there have been divers in the river a few times, actually, and also Mm -hmm. the, you know, during the winter, the river gets very low, you can, you can just walk across it, and in the spring, you know, it fills up. And um, by summer, it's fairly deep, uh, like fifteen to seventeen feet deep, right there.
0: And um, okay. the uh, this description of this uh, this teal geo tracker and the man with uh, with the long hair do, does that match the description by any chance of the fellow who uh, came by your work um, when you uh, w- when you weren't there? Do you, uh, was was there a description of that person?
2: Um, there wasn't a description that I know of. Of that
1: individual i want to get back to the to the condition of the truck now uh we have some details about how the truck was found the wipers were on which would indicate that at some point either it was raining or whoever was driving it turned the wipers on maybe by accident or maybe to um to uh do like the windshield wash or something but the wipers were in the on position the the wheels if i'm not mistaken were uh cranked hard to the left which would indicate that the truck took a hard left turn, uh, probably into the river, and the driver's side and passenger windows were almost all the way down, like three-quarters of the way down, which would indicate that they were trying to intentionally sink this. Um, did Is there anything else about the condition of the truck that you know of?
2: Um, the engine was on, and in the vehicle was in low four-wheel drive.
1: Low four-wheel drive. What is
2: a low four by four gear to where it would, you know, kind of crawl basically by itself without having to put, you know, gas on and stuff like that. So I take you haven't been four wheeling being <laughs> over boulders and stuff then, huh?
1: <laughs> I see, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was in low four wheel drive. So maybe the end are you are you suggesting that someone had started it? turn the wheels, roll the windows down, put it in this gear so that it could creep down into the into the river.
2: Right. Yep, exactly. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about the the specific details of this circumstance, you know, as soon as you get into a river that has silt on it in it, you know, and stuff like that, it's going to get pretty muddy pretty fast and hard to get through, I guess. So I guess their intentions were to get the truck as deep as it could go into the river on its own without them having to be in the cab. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because why risk yourself, right, when you're trying to sink a vehicle? I have a question about the windshield wipers. Does that indicate to you with the windshield wipers being on that they had kept the truck somewhere else and then driven it to this location to dump it?
2: Yeah, that's what I think. I think that the truck was stashed somewhere. Who knows where. I mean there's access to four wheel drive roads all over that area. You know, you could you could very easily stash a truck for an extended period of time before somebody found it. Unless it's like a hunter or a rancher moving, you know, their cows and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah, I think that I think that the truck was stashed and then um, driven down there at a later time there are some circumstances where some tire tracks from the vehicle were found through um, cow droppings so a rancher had moved their cows through that area before uh, the truck had gone through the area Um, and i also think that the windshield wipers were on because it was raining but you know it's also possible that as the cab started flooding that the you know something could have knocked the wipers up or down in order to activate them.
1: Oh, I see. So, it wasn't like a like a turn knob. It was um it was like a vertical like up or down to turn them on.
2: You know, I'm not sure. I've had cars that do both, and so I'm not I'm not particularly sure on which one it was. If it was up and down or or turn the knob. In my car it's up and down. So oh, I don't
1: know. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think in my car, yeah, in my car it's up and down as well.
2: The wipers could have come on just by, you know, physics.
1: Right, right. And I guess, like, uh, as far as priorities go, that's got to be sort of in the in the mid-range of, of top priorities.
2: Well, I think that it isn't really for me because I think that the investigative team has already done that portion.
1: right. Right.
2: You know, if I like went through and figured all of this out myself, it's nothing that isn't already known. So it's just kind of wasted time.
1: Right. Can you talk a little bit about I just have one more uh, detail about this uh, and then um, and then I feel like I'm pretty good. The, the tools that were found scattered throughout the area in the subsequent um, days uh, after they found your dad's truck. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So the tools there I think that there are still tools being found actually and um this is kind of important actually when it's pertaining to the truck my dad had a toolbox that was bolted to the bed it you know it's like one of those metal silver ones you know heavy duty mm-hmm. you know and bolted it wasn't just like flying around in the bed it was it was literally bolted to the bed of the truck that toolbox um, was not on the truck when they pulled the vehicle. And um, and it had my dad's tools in it. So a lot of those tools have been found scattered about um, the mountains uh, around Paradox and Bedrock area, but in the opposite direction of where my dad's truck was found. So I distinctively believe that that was done on purpose to guide people away from finding the truck.
0: Right, like they the tools could be scattered in the opposite direction of where your dad actually is.
2: Right, yep. And, you know, I'm looking at the pictures online of my dad's truck and, and uh, well, the ones that they have released, and you can tell that the... The toolbox is not there. It's not on the truck.
0: I see.
1: Hmm. Interesting. That's really interesting. It. I can imagine that it would take some effort to take a toolbox uh, like that, which was bolted to the bed of the truck out of the truck.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Huh. And the, t- the toolbox itself has never been found.
2: The toolbox has not. Um. Now, the, there was a lid that was found. The lid was found later and there's kind of some back and forth on whether or not it was planted or not but i think that they thought that somebody had probably brought it down there and put it placed it several weeks or years or months i'm not sure when the lid was discovered
0: and how far from where the truck was were the tools and the toolbox lid found
2: Oh, well, okay, so the lid was supposedly found in the river, the same river area where the truck was found, and then the tools are found, you know, quite a distance away. I mean, I have to get on the Google Maps and, and measure it, but, you know, several miles.
0: Oh, okay. Hmm. So, uh, geez, and how big was his toolbox? This is uh, something that would be pretty heavy, I would have to imagine.
2: Oh, yeah. It's, you know, a standard size metal toolbox that you put in the back of a truck.
0: I'm just a podcaster, so uh, you have to speak in computer terms (laughs) to me.
2: (laughs) Um, Okay, so the the width of the bed and maybe two feet
1: wide. It's probably like four feet long. It's probably like three feet deep and about two feet wide.
0: But the lid was found. That's interesting.
1: Yeah the the lid was found. So the lid has like hinges on it. So the lid that would have to be that just doesn't fall off. It's not like it's clipped on. This is a box that's designed to keep tools safe while it's in the back of a truck, like exposed to the elements. You know, it's not just falling apart. Yeah, that has to be that has to be physically removed. Not just like, oh, water
0: eroded at it.
2: Right. Yep.
0: So then where where do you think your dad might be today?
2: Um I personally think that my dad is in a mine shaft somewhere in those mountains. There's so many mines up there. I mean, if you are familiar with the area, it would not be difficult to find some place to stash a body.
0: Right. I, I think you mentioned last time we spoke that there was uh, 36,000 mines and uh, a lot of them aren't being used anymore.
2: Uh, none of them are being used. There's no mining, no active mining in that area. The mine might be, you know, open. There's a, there's a website you can go to and physically click on these mines and see what their status is. I think it's called the Diggings. Yeah, the Diggings. So there's over thirty six thousand mines in the area. The link will take you straight to Jiravan. It you know, it actually will tell you how many there are. So it says that there are two thousand six hundred and ninety-nine active claims in the area. Now that doesn't mean that they are actively mining, it just means that it's an you know it's an active claim. There's thirty six thousand and thirty-two that are closed. So a lot of these mines have been passed down from family member to family member to family member. But um yeah, you can go to this the digging site and there's a lot of information that you can get out of these mines if you just click on one, especially if you you know, if you kinda know where it is. It'll tell you the aliquots, uh, the physiography, what it was. So I'm just on one right now, and it says that uranium was the primary commodity and vanadium was the secondary commodity. It says the county. It says who owns it. The land status is federal right now. I mean, there's a lot that you can find on this website about all these mines
0: yeah pretty cool site the diggings dot com
2: yeah yeah it it's um it's a very interesting site and it's kind of neat because if you were you know trying to figure out if you could even go in a mine or something like that, you can look up what was there to see if there's gases in it or something like that. but you know more times than not, the reason why a mine is dangerous is because of the lack of oxygen, the deeper you get. And an air vent to a mine is is pretty deep within the shaft itself. And you know, they're not, an air vent is not small. If I was going to dispose of something, I would search for an air vent in the area.